0: Get scratching. We got an explosive broadcast coming to you. Listen up, Sega games, just keep playing them. Sega! We're back. It's the Sega Bit Swing Report Show. Get ready for Sega news and commentary with George and Barry. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Segabit Swing and Report Show. I'm Barry, with me is my co-host, George. Hello. And joining us, we have a very special guest. It took us a long time to get him here, but he's here. Greg Johnson, video game designer and co-founder of ToeJam & Earl Productions and founder of Human Nature Studios. Currently, Greg and a small team are kickstarting a new ToeJam & Earl game dubbed Back in the Groove. Hello, Greg.
1: Hi. Hi there. Thanks for, for joining us. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: all my energy. And then for the rest of the interview, right. I just kind of mumble the questions. <laughs> okay. uh, so, i to figure out what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. you got to turn them but, you know, sure. Um, <laughs> no, actually, I wanted to kick off, actually, kind of go through a little retrospective of the past games and talk about the new game. Um, we're actually covering... Uh, developers this year on Sega Bits. We've been talking a lot about Sega Studios, but we've also had other developers on, uh, including the Drift Stage guys and um, the uh, Sonic Remastered guys, and we have you on. So I wanted to get a little bit into the um, process of making games, how ToeJam & Earl came about. And so I wanted to start, it, it seems like all these stories start on a beach in Hawaii. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> I know that yeah. Tom Kalinsky has a similar story. Um, <laughs> but, um, so in, in your case, it's a well-known fact to fans of Toe Jam and Earl that you conceived of the characters and plot well on a beach in Hawaii. Uh, is this correct? And also what exactly sparked these ideas? And can you walk us through the thought process that led to the creation of these iconic characters?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, As to the beach thing, um, it didn't actually start there. I think that was a comment I made at one point um, where I was on some vacation. And as often happens when you're most relaxed and your mind just starts to wander and you kind of free associate. I think that's where a lot of what ToeJam & Earl became uh, came from, but it wasn't really the inception of Toe Jam and Earl that um, happened earlier and was actually just from, you may have read this somewhere too. It was, I woke up one night and I used to have, I still ha- occasionally have, but I used to have a lot of really just crazy vivid dreams that almost always featured aliens of one sort or another. And um, I woke up and I remember I just scribbled down some Notes about a conversation that these two aliens were having, and they were talking like two homeboys from the hood, and uh, and somehow it just kind of struck my funny bone with these these two guys going, yo yo toe jam, what's up, yo big girl <laughs> in the house, you know, check out these crazy earthlings, and I um um I by the way am um am half black half white, I grew up kind of very mixed uh family. My uh, my wife is from Japan and my son is like all kinds of crazy genes mixed up together. Um and um you know it's just kind of a part of my roots and who I am and that um uh and so I I, I have a deep an abiding love for um black American culture, especially music culture. Mm. So I think that's kind of why it just popped out and, um, and then it sort of evolved into thinking, uh, thinking is even too strong of a word, just sort of pondering, I guess, about what the earth would look like to some very cool aliens who had their act together. And, and then I just started imagining all of these, uh, (laughs) wild self-involved kind of insane, uh, destructive characters. And um, it didn't make a whole lot of sense because it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to them. And that's kind of where Togemineril, the whole idea of that satirical view of us and the Earthlings came from.
0: Interesting. So
1: you're saying that the world that they
0: inhabit in the games, at least in the first one, um, that's through their eyes. So if we were to be looking at it, it would look a lot more normal.
1: Yeah, kind of like it. Right. It's sort of like what what it would feel like to them if they came to Earth. And it's just this crazy mishmash of, um, <laughs> you know, of insanity and all of it destructive. You know, the, the, the lawnmower man and the the um, crazed shopper with the screaming kid and the, the nerds running around and this. It's just like. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, there's not a whole lot of logic behind it. It's like I said, kind of stream of consciousness, but that was sort of the thematic idea behind it. And I just, it just appealed to me, the whole notion of flipping things around and making uh, us the aliens, you know, that's, that was really the core of the idea. And, um, their ToeJam & Earl come from a rational place where, um, <laughs> funk reigns supreme and that funk is more than just music, you know, it's really like um, That that binding force of joy that connects all of the the characters and makes them cool And it's that kind of go with the flow coolness that that they have uh, Earl has in abundance of course and uh, Toe Jam strives for but <laughs> uh, relative to the earthlings that they encounter uh, who have zero <laughs> then it's just like it's to them it's just crazy so oh
2: wow huh. i actually kind of had a question um you said that you had like a pop uh, an idea when you were sleeping is that is yeah. that usually how you come up with your ideas when you're sleeping or uh and you wake up and then you write them down
1: Uh, you know, no, I have, most of my dreams are just, uh, frightening and bizarre when I have those kind of dreams that are not, not the sort of thing I would, um, want to turn into a game and share with other people. My, (laughs) my subconscious is usually a place I don't really want to, (laughs) um, look too closely at, but, um, but occasionally, you know, and this was one of those rare times where it just, um, really struck a chord, kind of hit my funny bone. And I, um, I wish I still had that scrap of paper because I think I sketched a little uh, picture of the two aliens too, and I that's that is long gone. But
2: oh. um, did and they then, change much from said... the paper to what they what we saw in the game?
1: No, no, they actually didn't. Um, there, there was the little wiry one with the eye stalks and the big uh, heavy one, um, and that was. Um, I mean, it was a long time ago, you know, but, uh, that's what, that's what I remember. And I, yeah, you, those things, they just, they don't seem that important at the time when you scribble something on a scrap of paper, who thinks that, you know, 25 years later, you're going to wish you had that little bit of paper, but, um, you know, such is life. It moves forward.
0: Wow. That's, that's a great answer.
1: Um, ah, cool. So
0: on on the gameplay side of things, the games uh, Starflight and Rogue are cited as inspirations for the first game. Uh, what was it about these thing, games that grabbed your attention, and how did these games impact the first ToeJam & Earl?
1: Oh, that's interesting. You know, they're, those two games are very different in terms of how what their relationship to me is. Rogue definitely was an inspiration in the sense that... Uh, it was just a game that got me started playing games. Just to begin with, it was in you know way back in college, probably before a lot of the listeners, and maybe I don't know how old you guys are, but maybe even before people were born. But it was uh, you know back in um, the like 1980, um, 79 and 80 when I was um, in college at UC San Diego and I was playing, um, on the mainframe terminal, you know, then these sort of black and white ASCII characters, uh, and, and the, the computers off in some other room. Right. And I'm sitting there till three or four in the morning when I should be doing my, um, studying, uh, with having a little, uh, you know, letter being chased by the C and by the A through these randomly generated dungeons and seeing how far I can get. And I was just captivated by it. I loved that game and uh, couldn't get enough of it. And it was those mechanics that um, translated into what's really underlies Jam and Earl. So um, it was, uh, you know, more than just an inspiration. I I love that so much, the random levels and the the magic spells and the st- identify scrolls and the things that you you didn't know what they do until you tried them and all that stuff you know made its way into um, the, my game and then I just added a bunch of crazy stuff on top of it and I flipped it around so you're going up instead of down and let you fall down and I made it multiplayer and did you know just sort of and then of course all the thematic stuff uh, which is. Specific to Jam and Earl. On the other hand, Starflight um, was—I <laughs> guess you could—I guess you could call that an inspiration, in as much as that was the first game that I ever designed and built um, straight out of college uh, back in um, 1982. Mm-hmm. It was one of the very first games um, that was, you know. Published, and I shouldn't say one of the very first, but it was close to that first set of games that was published by Electronic Arts. They were a very small group at the time, just getting started. And um, Paul Ritchie, who these days runs Toys for Bob, and you know they they do Skylanders, and they're they're owned by Activision. They're huge. He um, he was kind of my mentor in those days. He had done Arkan, and he convinced me that I could build a computer game and sort of help guide me through the process. And I worked with a group of other people who, um, none of us had ever made a game before. And so, um, uh, in a way that was, you know, that was how I got started in the industry. And in a funny way, that was an inspiration for ToeJam & Earl, because that was a big epic space exploration game. And after that, I kind of wanted to cut loose and do something that was lighter and funnier and um, more musical. And, um, and that's where, uh, oops, let me turn that off. I apologize for that. That's okay. That's where, um, that's where Toe & all kind of came from, you know, cause uh, in a way, cause I wanted something different. I wanted a whole different vibe and, um, but, um, but yeah, other than that, you know, they both have, aliens in them and uh, that's kind of a common theme for me Um, and I I don't know you're going to have to talk to my subconscious if you want to find an answer to why that (laughs) is I have no clue how about the so
0: you mentioned the randomized maps do you do you find some sort of excitement from having this randomization do you like having a little bit of control taken away from you even though you're in control of designing the game
1: yeah, I love it for two reasons. I love it as a player and I love it as a developer. Mm-hmm. You know, um the, as a developer, you um you play your games that you're building over and over and over again as you're making them like every day for uh, you know, at least a year, sometimes longer. So, um it's really it's so much uh, more fun and exciting and fresh to um to be building a game with randomly generated environments because then it's always new. And, um, and then as a player, I just love those games in general. I always do because um, people are, you know, we play games for different reasons. Some people are real goal oriented and they love puzzles and they love an intellectual challenge. And um, and they don't mind if it's very structured and all thought out or if they're they just they they in fact, a lot of people love that. Mm. Right. And I'm I'm uh, I'm kind of at the extreme end of the uh, other end of the spectrum where I'm the um, I'm in it for the fantasy. I want to be able to suspend my disbelief and be transported somewhere else. And so I love I love uh, interactive story and I love like that whole um, emotionally emotionally compelling sense that you can get from. Uh, that level of immersion in in another world and so the idea of being in a randomly generated world which is to say one that nobody has ever been to before because it's it's the first time it's ever been made right allows uh, uh, facilitates that fantasy more I don't have to think oh, okay what does the designer want me to do where am I supposed to go and feel like I'm on somebody's rails
0: Right, and so, you're not gonna find that so you're not gonna find any game facts or uh, video walkthroughs really of the uh, the first game in that regard, which I, I, I think is really nice. <laughs> yeah, it's
1: really hard to um yeah we sort of scratched our heads a lot, and a lot of uh, game magazines would ask us for that stuff, and we're like, <laughs> we don't know how to give you that because it's all random. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't work. Uh,
0: that's true, a, yeah, especially a, a toe jam & Earl strategy guide, I can't imagine. Um, yeah, that's
1: right. Yeah, It, <laughs> lists, it lists presence in Earthlings and kind of general strategies, but yeah nothing, yeah, nothing specific. You can't do a walkthrough. But you know, one thing that's kind of fun that I just realized as I was thinking about this new game is, um, you know, we didn't put many secrets in game one. We had, of course, that level zero, those two islands down there, um, cause that was a fixed level. Right. And that's why we didn't do it because we were like, well, how are we going to do that with randomly generated levels? But, um, just recently I thought, oh, duh, <laughs> how stupid could we possibly have been? All you need to do is stick the secret in first and then generate the level around it randomly. So yeah. there's this one little Island that's always there. Right. And Um, people aren't going to know that. They might notice it after a while, you know, even then it's hard to notice that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, gee, we can put as many secrets as we want into this new game. Why didn't I think of that before? Oh, wow. So, yeah, (laughs) kind of funny.
0: That's funny. Um, So speaking of, um, actually not speaking of anything, I was going to ask another question. Between you and pardon if I, it, it Mark Vorsanger, Vorsanger?
1: Yeah, you said that right, uh-huh, Vorsanger.
0: Um, so you've always seemed to be the primary spokesperson, especially for matters relating to ToeJam & Earl. Uh, what would you say both you and Mark brought to the table as far as developing uh, the early games, and what's he up to these days?
1: Yeah, well, I'm glad you asked that. I, um, I have been kind of in the spotlight a lot, and I've Feel bad uh, often because I feel like Mark doesn't get his due because I just am, uh, you know, just talking about uh, game features and the plans and all that sort of thing. And um, and it really was uh, the two of us that built um, all three, in fact, four if you want to count that Menacer light gun game uh-huh. that we did of those games. And um, you know, it was just the two of us in an office for so many years working together and. Um, I was, you know, basically the creative side and he was the technical side. He did all of the engineering and um, I did uh, the design. And then on the first game, I did the artwork and the um, the audio, too. Um, but, um, you know, Mark is... Um, he's a creative guy too and he's great at giving feedback especially and it just has a good general sense. So it was a, you know, definitely a team effort and I'm the spewer guy. I just like come up with all of these crazy ideas hmm. and Mark, of course, being a good engineer is more the rational guy who helps sort of sort through it and analyze it and say, well, this one's practical and what, how are we going to accomplish that? And, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, that makes for very effective, um, effective teamwork. And right now I'm working with, um, uh, an engineer friend named Jeff Kreiss who, uh, sort of serves a very similar role in, um, helping make it happen. And often, uh, creative people who are, are rather unstructured thinkers need someone like that around mm-hmm. in regards to what Mark is doing now. He actually has been out of the game industry for, um, uh, the last eight years, I'd say, um, he's he is actually helping businesses. He consults with businesses and uh, does specializes in this area called collaborative theory. So he um, he was like a life coach for a while um, for people at a personal level, and then he sort of um, transformed that into um, working with groups and businesses to. It, like on interpersonal relationships and communication within companies and, um, you know, helping them become more efficient and stuff Ooh. like that.
0: Oh, wow. So, our, our
1: site could use that. Yeah. <laughs> his, um, yeah, his, his, uh, little, uh, I don't know if you even call it a company, but his, his business is called Skyward Coaching and, um, that's his little plug. Hi, Mark. <laughs> so, <laughs> Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. But we're, you know, he's still, um, he's very much, you know, really excited about what we're doing, and he's kind of on the sidelines and, um, and you know, offering feedback and stuff like that, and he's been really, really gracious in letting me, since I've stayed in the game industry, letting me kind of run with it and uh, giving me a lot of freedom to basically um, make the calls on, you know, what we're doing, So, so yeah, it's great. I'm very, very thankful to have uh, a friend like Mark. and yeah. Good to hear he's doing well. Yeah,
0: thanks for asking. Oh, of course. Uh, George, you had some questions?
2: Yes. Um, I was going to say, uh, you, how was it uh, pitching the game to Sega at first, and uh, how was it working with marketing manager uh, Hugh Bowen and uh, producer uh, Scott Bertfield?
1: Oh, um, it was great. You know, it's that was sort of the Wild West of video game days, in a way, you know, I mentioned already that EA was... Uh, very small. Uh, when I did Starflight and Young, same thing with uh, Sega of America was just getting established. They had just a few people in their offices. I don't think they even had any lawyers on staff uh, yet at that time. Uh, they were all still in Japan, and um, you know, and we were kind of young and naive too, and we didn't know <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. So um, we were just kind of making it up as we went along. Hugh. Uh, was great, very welcoming, warm. He's a really just a very friendly, personable guy who smiles a lot. And uh, Scott Burfield, um, uh, we weren't around at first when uh, Hugh showed the stuff to Scott. We presented just to Hugh, and then he brought Scott in afterwards. And what we heard was oh man, you immediately have a, a huge advocate here because the stuff uh, that we presented just resonated with scott i guess and he it just he just got it right away which is kind of weird because it's so off the wall uh um and and bizarre you don't expect people to get it at all but um uh, he uh scott just i don't know it just sort of spoke to him so he 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 really um uh kind of had our back throughout the whole project you know every time you build a game there's all these different kinds of pressures and uh different priorities for between you and what the publishers want and they're beholding to their whole the their whole chain of executives above them a lot of whom don't really get the game or um have the time to even look very closely at it and they're making decisions about what it should or shouldn't be or how it should be marketed and so you oftentimes you really need um, an advocate who understands you and what you're trying to do to be your spokesperson at that end. And Scott just was um, was magnificent. He was great.
2: So yeah. um, was Sega the first uh, company you guys pitched the game to? or Yeah.
1: You guys,
2: yeah, so the first one you guys were like, yeah, well, they like it. You guys were all on board?
1: Yeah, yeah. We were just off and running pretty fast. We just went in, had one meeting, uh, showed some artwork to Hugh. we had um, some artwork from Steve Purcell who is a, a great great artist these days he's um, he's at Pixar he, he co-directed the movie Brave so he's his um, he was at LucasArts for a lot of years doing artwork for them on their what they call their scum games like Monkey Island and those games and then um, and and he did Sam and Max you may be familiar with that oh, series sure. um, series yeah. Um, anyway, he did a bunch of the um, concept art for us. Um, and I had a bunch of three by five cards where I had done all of these uh, terrain tiles. And I sat on the floor uh, and, and <laughs> while Hugh <he> watched, <laughs> um, wondering what the heck I was about to do. And I put all the tiles together in different ways and showed him how we were going to build the terrain Um you know, and how they, they lined up and, uh, and then he just said, cool, great, let's do it. I love it. And, um, we were off and going, it was pretty, pretty painless. Oh, wow. Okay.
2: Um, I was gonna say, um, you guys called your company toe jam and Earl productions. Was that, uh, did you guys pitch like that? That's where, You guys didn't have a name. I'm assuming when you guys pitched the idea or anything, right?
1: We didn't. Yeah, I think at that time we were JVP Productions, Johnson Vorsanger Productions, and then we changed the name to... Yeah, to- I wanted to ask
2: one thing. I mean, you guys, okay, techn- well, we know now that you own the the license. And uh, how do you guys work out that contract? I mean, was it just that there was no lawyers at Sake of America at the time <laughs> and you guys could put what you guys wanted? Or how did that work out?
1: Oh, yeah. Um. Got, you know, it was a long time ago. I... I don't remember the, the how the conversations happened exactly at a general level. I just know that we we had um we had an attorney, and he was good, I guess.
2: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? I would say so yes.
1: and um, and uh, we just said what we wanted we we you know you always whenever you go to a publisher, even today, you try to hang on to as much of the rights as you can. Everybody wants to own own the property. And I think it was because we came in there with something that was pretty well thought through and formed already, and it was because uh, Sega at the time was this little upstart who wanted to go up against Nintendo, and they really wanted properties, they really wanted something that could um, hopefully stand up against Mario. They saw us as a real opportunity, so... Um, they weren't feeling like they were giving anything away. They, they, um, it's all a matter of leverage. You know, these days the, the, the publishers hold all the cards, things were a little different. The balance was a little different. They kind of needed us too. So we were just, it's, it was just lucky too, you know, it's always a matter of timing and how people are feeling that day and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So Oh um, yeah, I yeah.
2: especially at, at that time period, considering that Nintendo had so much of the market share at the time, and the Genesis was uh, kind of a uh, early on when you guys started up, right?
1: Yep, that's right. Yeah, yeah, it was the different scene back then. Nintendo was really the the big giant, and Sega was trying to yeah get get visibility.
0: I had a silly question.
1: Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: So, you're are you aware of the console wars book and movie? Correct. That's, yeah yeah mm-hmm. um so in in the event that you're you actually appear as a character in the movie who would you want to play you <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh gosh uh that's funny i uh it's
0: <laughs> i told tom Kalinski george clooney and he was offended he was like he's too old too old and i'm like
1: all uh, right offended? oh my gosh <laughs> i want george clooney then if he's <laughs> if he's free uh you I don't know you. you know some people have told me that they think I look a little bit like a um uh uh like Adam Sandler <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't know maybe Adam Sandler I I I I uh I like him uh, I have no idea that's <laughs> a weird question That is a weird question
0: that's an unexpected question. Hey, hey, when yeah. we get closer to the movie, it's going to start getting real. You never know. There might be a little scene where it's like, what do you think, Greg? And then, like, Adam Sandler shows up, and he's like, no, no. And then he just like, you know, that's it.
1: Yeah, he'll have a little bit part. Yeah. <laughs> get okay, out of my Greg. office,
0: Greg. Oh, yes, Mr. Clooney.
1: <laughs> yeah, or maybe they could get, uh, I don't know, Will Smith. That would be cool. <laughs> would
0: be great. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Why not?
2: Why
1: not? Yeah.
0: All right, George. I was
2: gonna, I was gonna <laughs> ask about uh, well, sorry, are you are gonna say something. Brad? No, no, no.
0: Go back to the real questions. <laughs>
2: um, you guys, you talked about Ready Aim Tomatoes for the Minincer. Uh, yeah. Uh, how involved were you with that game, and uh, do you have any interesting stories about the pro uh, development process of the game?
1: Oh, um, well, involved as in made it with Mark, you know, it was just the two of us. And, uh, they, after we finished toe jam and Earl, uh, one, they said, Hey, we've got this other thing. Can you knock out a title for us fairly quickly? And we looked at the assets that we had and thought, sure, we should be able to repurpose a lot of this pretty easily. And, um, and it really only took a few months. as I recall, it was very fast. And, um, um, it was fun. It was easy and fun. And I wish all, uh, game development was like that. It just, um, uh, yeah, I don't remember having any, any issues or problems in, in making that. And, um, we just played it a lot. I, uh, yeah, that's all. It was just, just us. We just reused
2: it. Were were a lot of the games for that? device i guess put together for masses from other games i actually never even played that many games i barely just got one actually yeah uh, i bought menacer.
0: a i bought a new menacer last week um and i'm actually i'm in chicago at the moment so i i thought it was kind of funny on the way back i passed mccormick place where they actually announced it to uh, america so it was a very special no moment no kidding yeah wow <laughs> huh. Yeah, well,
1: That's interesting. I didn't know those were still around.
0: In fact, footage, I believe, from 1992 Consumer Electronics Show just emerged a few weeks ago. I forgot who posted it. It might have been Polygon or something, but it was this uh, cheesy kids show, like Kids on the Beat, and it was like, uh, you know, we're checking out the hottest <laughs> games, and they've got the menacer, and then they show, like, you know, the, the people in the suits talking to the kids, and it, it really doesn't work that well, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that yeah, That
1: sounds very nostalgic. I guess that's the whole idea, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but
0: it, yeah, I played the Tomatoes game last night actually. It was fun. It's uh
1: No kidding. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah it's it's very quirky. Oh,
1: funny. <laughs> yeah, that's right. It's uh gosh, well, you're much much more current than I am. I can't even remember begin to remember the last time I touched that, but uh Yeah, we had for a while we had the little handguns. Did you use the little um, handgun or the big menacer?
0: I used the menacer with all the attachments. I looked like uh, a real winner.
1: Yeah, that's right. You must have really impressed your wife. Oh, for sure. I,
0: I put on a backwards hat and rode my skateboard around yeah. my house. It was great. <laughs>
1: that's not geeky. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, cool.
0: Yeah. So a uh, question um, that actually one of our writers was asking that they wanted me to submit. Um, uh, they wanted to know, well, there was a chance that the third game would appear on Dreamcast. It was apparently in development for the Nintendo 64 at one point. What happened to that version and how far did it go?
1: Or is mm, that even true? That's, no, that's not true. Okay. Yeah, we um, yeah, we went straight for the Dreamcast. I mean, I remember talking about that and wanting it to be on. Um, th- I wanted to shoot for the Nintendo, um, just because I felt like that was uh, a good audience for us to be on. And um, but um, I mean, which is to say, actually, that. Sorry, this is all a little fuzzy. That's okay. um, that was after uh, they shut the Dreamcast down, and we were trying to figure out what platforms we would go to. I see. And I was advocating for, I was hoping we would go on to the Nintendo and onto PlayStation, and the Xbox was kind of my um, last choice. Mm-hmm. But um, we ended up on an Xbox, and in fact, even an Xbox exclusive because um, the engineering on it was so much easier and so much more straightforward and uh, visual concepts. The um, the group that we were working with that was sort of representing Sega, they had some a whole bunch of libraries of code all mm-hmm. ready to go. And, and then um, Microsoft sort of really tipped the scales when they said, oh, hey, we'll give you um, A million and a half dollars, or some amount—I don't remember the exact amount—but a lot of money for uh, in TV marketing. If you'll give us an exclusive, Mm. Um, and that was because they wanted a title that would um, broaden their demographic, because they knew that at the time they were very um, their their audience was exclusively hardcore action gamers. You know, these young guys looking for adrenaline, (laughs) and they wanted something that would Sort of push the perception out to a broader market, which is a hard place for you to be, uh, uh, if it's your game, because sure. it means, oh, it's the wrong market. Yeah. Which, we, uh, which is exactly the wall we ran smack into. Um, maybe not the only wall, but uh, but prior to that, when you know, when when the your first question of where we originally going to go. Um, Onto the Nintendo. No, you know, it was yeah. a Sega, Sega-funded title, and so there was never any question it was going to be on the Dreamcast.
0: Right. So then, when the Dreamcast was discontinued, Sega was looking to go third party Well, they were going third party. So at that point, it was it wouldn't have been Nintendo 64 anyway. It would have been the GameCube. I'm assuming. Yeah.
1: Correct. Uh, that probably. Yeah, I think you're right.
0: Okay. Hmm. Interesting. And I know. Um, I guess another it. I can't remember. It was two players, correct, for the um, uh, ToeJam and Earl three. Was it?
1: Yeah, um, that's right. And we had it working um, right the, online on the Dreamcast online play, and then we uh, ended up taking that out when we uh, went to the Xbox.
0: Hmm. Did you ever I'm have? Not any... even
1: sure why. Oh, did you have any plans for the VMU? Uh, like trading no.
0: presents, maybe, or. That could have been
1: interesting. Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I don't remember okay. actually. I'm sorry. All right, just
0: mining, mining your brain for information. But <laughs> yeah, good luck
1: with that. Uh, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, so, uh, moving on to the next question we had. Um, so you've been very close and accessible to the fan base. I mean, you're talking to us. Uh, going so far as to personally responding to emails and you know talking to people on Twitter um how has the fan base influenced your decision to continue with the series and to make uh the new game
1: wow you know influenced is because even quite an understatement there it's um that has been the main reason and why i've decided to pursue this and um it's uh I mean, that reason has been there kind of for years now, Um, I've been, um, well, I should say Mark and I have been getting steady stream of emails um, over the years, although for whatever reasons that's kind of intensified of late in the last uh, few years, Um, I've been getting more and more and um, which is odd, you know, after all this time, but there's been a lot of nostalgia lately and a lot of articles and sort of a big retro game movement and so with all these other games being revived and rebooted people are have been saying well where's ToeJam and & Earl and um, so um, that's what kinda got me um, started really down this path and then the next step was well okay if it's gonna be a game for the fans what do they want right and Uh, I kind of thought I knew, but I wasn't really sure. So that's really why I started that Facebook page, um, which now has about 20,000 people on it. Um, and it's been a wonderful resource. You know, I've been polling people, um, all along. It's been up for about four months, I guess. It's called just Toe Jim and Earl. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I put been putting up, uh, asking them what kind of I, I Right in the beginning, I said, do you want it to be more like Game One or more like Game Two? And what's the art style? What player characters would you want to play? And um, all kinds of things. What kind of rewards would you want if we, if there's ever any merchandise? What what sorts of things would you like? And so, um, yeah. And then with Kickstarter, of course, it's the, it's just like magnified by 10. Yeah. <laughs> you know, again, now there's a flood of response and. Um trying to absorb it all and take it all in. But like you said too, I also wanna feed back to people. And um, I really, I have a little bit of a personal liability in a way I have a hard time um, not answering somebody. Even when I walk down the street, if somebody asks me for money or something, <laughs> I have to look at them and answer them, even if it's just to say, no, sorry. And so um, it's really hard not to wanna answer every single message. and. Twitter, um, you know, tweet and uh, everything, the emails I'm getting and the Kickstarter messages. So it's it's like a it's like standing in front of a fire hose, <laughs> you know, it's just a flood. But um, yeah, it's great too. You know, it's um, I'm not complaining. I love For it. Sure. It's just uh, it's just a lot. I wish I wish I could uh, have a few of me to, and to clone to do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, you mentioned Game 2. Uh, I was curious, was the idea of a sequel initiated by your team, or was that Sega? And um, what was your original concept for the sequel? How much did it change, and maybe are there any ideas you had from the sequel? I guess you you could say you made the third one, which probably had a lot of ideas from the sequel, but long story short, uh, what did Panic on Funkatron initially intend to be,
1: and how do you think it's shaping the new game? Oh yeah, well, um, it started out just being a, a total extension of Game One. We uh, we were using the same engine, and I remember we built some um, uh, a snow and ice level. I remember sliding around in the ice, and we built these um, walls and mazes so that you um, like these ruins, so you could look down inside of them. And we were working on uh, caves so that you could go inside of. Caves and we had a few new earthlings and we're coming up with lists of new presents Um, I don't remember anything new In that game like story-wise or thematically. I think we had hadn't gotten that far and we're just working on sort of Gameplay and structural ideas and we would gotten about three or four months into it when um, Sega said uh, hey guys uh, How would you feel about? doing this instead Mm -hmm. you know we we and and yeah i you know you can't really blame them toe jam and earl one got off to a really slow start in sales it uh it eventually did okay did pretty good um i think um i'm not sure but i think it ended up selling around a quarter of a million units (laughs) but um you know that um they were they were sort of wondering uh, if it was worth doing another one, and they were looking at it compared to all their other games, saying, "Well, maybe that's why it's not doing as well as we'd like, because it's just too different and people don't get it." So mm. we um, we pushed back a little bit, and but you know we were we had a good relationship with them, and we were young, and we wanted to please, and we um, and so we just said, "Okay, we'll we'll do our best. We'll try." And then we had a challenge in front of us for how do you how do you retain the spirit of Toe Jam and Earl, which is one of um exploration and cooperation in um you know, in a side scrolling, jumping, shooting platformer game that, that and Sega had said they wanted big characters with lots of action. Hmm. Those were our sort of two dictates that we were trying to satisfy. And um you know, we came up with a lot of things. I again, I was Mr. Spewer, spewer yeah. and I just sort of spewed out all these ideas. And we picked out a bunch of them. And um, oh, and we hired uh, this guy uh, straight out of college named Evan Wells, who happened to be on the gymnastics uh, team, like super gymnast. Um, Mark's younger brother Conrad went to Stanford, mm-hmm. and so did Evan, and they were both like headed for the Olympics. Evan um I don't know if you recognize his name but today he runs um a little game company called Naughty Dog
0: oh, and um right.
1: Yeah, that's Evan and but he um he sat next to me um in our little office and we built levels together as Mark sort of worked away building tools and level editors for us and then we would like test out each other's levels and stuff and uh <laughs> Uh, that's how Evan got started. It was great. He's, he's an awesome guy. He's a little bit of a Japanophile like me. We both love, uh, are in love with Japan, Japanese culture and speak language. We're both married to Japanese women and like Miyazaki movies and <laughs> stuff like that. Nice. <laughs> so, <Nice. laughs> yeah. But anyway, I'm sorry. Oh. I'm, I'm kind of getting off track oh, there, that's right. I don't, aren't I?
0: That's interesting. Uh, I was, it's, I was yeah. gonna draw the comparison too. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but the first and second Zelda games, they also did something similar. I don't think it was Nintendo pushing them to go the 2D route, but when you look at the first game, which was an overworld view, to the second game, which was mainly side-scrolling, despite being uh, mm-hmm. uh, the same series. But um, I always l- looked at Toe Jam and Earl too like that. It was like the the Zelda two of uh, Toe Jam and Earl. So.
1: Yeah, well, that's an interesting comparison. I actually haven't heard that before. It certainly didn't do them any harm. <laughs> we, I wonder. If, uh, I wonder if there was. I have no idea if there was any kind of backlash for on that property like we had, uh, but we sure got a lot of people confused and upset at us for doing that. Yeah. Oh, oh really? Man. Yeah, it,
2: it, it, it wasn't was like, what
1: they were expecting at all.
2: I, so this is before the internet, so you guys got like angry letters sent in, right?
1: Yeah, that's right, that's right. Yeah, and mostly, you know, mostly it was articles uh, written in the different magazines, like the actual magazines you held in your hand. Right. <laughs> but um, but that's how we saw what the fans thought, or at least as represented by the game reviewers. Interesting. But, but a lot of them. And it was funny, you know, it was very mixed. Even today, it's very split. Um, and the people that hadn't really played ToeJam & 1 but came to, to Panicron Funkatron first generally really liked it. And it was the people that had liked Game 1 that didn't like uh, where we went with the second one because it really violated what they were waiting for. Mm. Interesting. You Greg, know. um... Since uh,
2: you said that the reason for changing it into a platformer was to, uh, I guess, better sales, I guess, they were thinking Sega, um, yeah. did it actually sell better or was it about the same?
1: Yeah, it was about the same, it had a different curve, it was a little steeper in the beginning so it looked a little better, and, um, but ultimately I think it actually sold a very similar number of units mm-hmm. overall. I don't remember what the numbers were. And and you know, both games actually had a pretty long and active life as uh rentals too. Yeah. which um doesn't turn into much of any money for uh the developers and I'm not sure what publishers get out of that, but uh it did sort of extend the life and awareness of the properties and right? So. I
2: always, I, I always wondered if I was kind of screwing over a company <laughs> by renting a game back in the old, in the days when they had blockbusters. <laughs> yeah, you were a little kid. I so.
1: don't know that anyone thinks about it that way though. You know, you of course you want them to sell, but, but you you want exposures just as good and getting your games out there and people playing them. Yeah turns into sales so oddly for me it was the uh, pack-in poster
0: that sold me on the game because i had the poster that came with a different game i hung it up and then i'm like i guess i should play the game if i'm going to put a toe jam and earl poster in my room so i rented it and i played it <laughs> and it was the weirdest game <laughs> and then i ended up uh, uh getting it uh, as a gift later on because um, i i guess it made the list of uh must-have sega games for me so Um, yeah Hmm. who's that that poster that uh, green with them dancing airbrushed do you know who made that poster
1: oh no I don't I think that might have been uh, some somebody in at Sega I don't think we did that artwork okay yeah yeah their marketing department must have done that But Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I think the game is actually, (laughs) this is a weird thing for me to say, but I think it's actually not that fun um, as a single player, especially if you're just playing it for the first time. You know, if you've played it a lot and you really understand it and you have a lot of fun associations with it, you can come back to it as a single player and enjoy it. But when you sit down for the first time as a single player... It's it's kind of dull. You're just walking around all the time and uh, getting chased by stuff, and um, and you know and have uh, some of the presents you open kill you. And it's like I've just seen a lot of people go ah, what is this? You know, and and it's so slow paced too. You kind of have to um, downshift uh, pretty seriously in your uh, expectations for just that rate of stimulation that you get from faster games. So. I'm never too surprised when um, I see, you know, trolly people on the Internet going, what are you talking about? Game one sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, they probably sat down and played it by themselves for the first time. But it's a whole different matter, of course, when you're playing it with somebody else. And uh, that's kind of how we built it, you know. When me and Mark, we we never played it by ourselves. It was always the two of us. (laughs) And uh, that was kind of the intention. We wanted to make a game that... uh, made people laugh and smile and you gave them enough time to have that interaction. You know, in a game that's really, really fast, it's hard to have a conversation, right? Yeah. You can't interact with the person sitting next to you. If there's something always flying at you and, and, in a in a world that gives you that sort of freedom to move wherever you want to go you don't know exactly where your goal is so you need to just sort of wander and explore and then you can kind of listen to the music and cruise around yeah. it's it works when when there's two of you and you you know it's a whole different dynamic it's a hangout so. game i i consider yeah, it it's exactly. you know it kind of appeals i think to
0: even teenagers at the time who would just hang around the mall hang around home i mean when i visited friends we would just hang
2: around <laughs> you know? yeah i think that's a good way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> Is there uh did you guys ever have well so you said from the start of development it was always a two-player game uh mm-hmm. did you guys have any plans to maybe like force people to play two players or were you like or was sega like we have to add a single player we have to let single you know one controller play you know
1: yeah it it would be like me kind of to say hey we why don't we make it a two player only game because um i I whenever I see a rule I kind of like to go <laughs> go the other way right. but um but I think very quickly that if if I said that at all and I don't really remember if I did or not then that would have been squashed with like that's ridiculous it, it has to be a single player and then a my reaction to that would have been and must have been, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, what do I know, so...
2: I was going to say, in the new game, are you guys uh, making an effort to, you know, make it, I guess, m- different for single-player, or are you guys focusing on uh, the same as the first one, multiplayer?
1: Um, it, kind of the same. You know, one hopes that uh, we'll be able to make it a better single-player experience, but that's not the real, by any means, the priority, you know, I, I still think of it as a, as the magic being in the cooperative play and, uh, and, you know, so much of the stories and testimonials that I've been hearing, like over the last few weeks, um, and some of which are very, um, very sweet and very compelling stories, um, always have to do with the, person that I played it with growing up, whether that was my mom or my dad or my brother, my sister, my best friend. And we play it together again every year when we get together. And it reminds me of my grandmother because we played it at my grandmother's house and she sat and watched us. And it was was this fellow that just did did a podcast with with Zach Smith was telling me his very compelling story. There's lots and lots of them. Mm -hmm. And some of them are actually kind of heartbreaking I, I, I hesitate to even say it because they're kind of sad, but people that have passed away and some memories people have have been sharing with me of uh, how to was something that connected with them. So that's the that's the high bar for me personally is something, you know, you ask yourself often when you're in this industry and I bet you guys do, too, because uh, any thoughtful person does like why? Am I in the video game industry? Why am I spending my life making yeah. video games when I could be out there, you know, covering uh, Pakistan as a journalist or you know, working in some research lab for, um, you know, whatever AIDS or Alzheimer's or whatever? And um, and uh, there's all kinds of answers to that question, you know. We're all, but one of the most compelling answers for me personally is just. Uh, People, the value that that experience can bring to people in their lives to um, bring them together for things they can you know that binds and bonds people with uh, great memories and the the sort of and in this case it's not always you know sometimes it can be deeper and cinematic even darker but in this case bright and joyful and cheerful feelings that you You can share with people and that sense of camaraderie and teamwork that you can get when you're solving problems together and being creative but also being surprised and uh panicky Mm -hmm. you know and all that kind of stuff so that's kind of what i'm in it for so that's a long long long-winded answer and i'm sorry about that but to why the whole two-player one-player question (laughs) and why
2: that's that, so important to me. That's a, that's a good answer. Uh, we usually we have people, and they give us, like, yes, no, or, like, you know what I mean? So there's one <laughs> yeah. sentence. I don't
1: know so, do yes and no. Yes, you probably do.
2: Have to yeah. <laughs> so it's a refreshing. I like it. Um, okay, good. Well, I was going to ask you about Toe Jam uh, in Earl 3, which uh, yeah. seems like you don't... Actually, this is actually one of the games you don't seem to be very, like, I guess, as fond as the first game, right? As with...
1: Oh, um. well, it's... That's a again okay I'll try to answer this more, <laughs> more concisely well, uh, yes, and no is the answer to that because personally, I love that game uh, of things about that game there and no, I don't focus on it as much because I'm aware of how it's been received and what and part of what I want to do is um make something that the Toe Geminal fans want out there. I feel kind of beholden to them and um and i don't I don't like having to make excuses for it, you know, and I don't even like, even though a lot of those excuses are just history and they're, tr- they're kind of true facts of what happened, we, we we set out to make a true faithful sequel to game one. That was the plan. It had stacked levels, it had all of the very simple, straightforward mechanics of game one, and we got uh, most of the way through it when um, Visual concepts ie Sega said uh, We don't want that Mm -hmm. we want you to change course Um, They they put Donkey Kong 3d down on my desk said take this home play it all the way through This is what we want. This is what sells we want uh, No more stack levels no more dying from the game. We want you to have um, uh, hubs and uh, bosses and mini games and keys and unlockables and Mm -hmm. Um, all this stuff has to be in there and cinematic sequences, um, that's, that's, that's what people want. And I was like, I remember arguing with them and they finally said, um, they said, man, this is a multimillion dollar project. It's not your money on the line. We're taking the risk. So it's our call. And I couldn't argue with that. I said, yep, you're right. It's not my money. Um, so <laughs> I told you what I think and now I'll do what you guys want and, try to keep as much of the spirit of it alive as I can. And, um, so, you know, so we did the best we could and we, and I think still a lot of good things came out of it. There was a ton of great new earthlings and all kinds of really fun presents in there. And even some of the things that they wanted, like some of those mini games or some of the, um, having the presents be locked was kind of interesting and I don't think all bads. So, and then other things, choices that they had nothing to do with, you know, like the over-the-shoulder camera that was kind of a little disorienting and confusing at times. Um, you know, we, you're on a schedule every time you make a game. You have to, you have to just keep moving forward, and you take your best shot. And, um, yeah. so you know, I think it's
2: a, I think it's pretty funny that Sega went and told you, oh, this is the game you should do. It like, it's like. I know. I think you're you're mentioning Donkey Kong 64, right? The Nintendo 64 yeah. one, and that's like considered by fans, I think, the worst one. So I think it's pretty I funny know. they say, cuz like this is it? This is what we Yeah,
1: want. it must have sold well, though. I don't remember. I don't know the numbers, but that must be why they why they pointed at that one. But that was just an example, you know, of the yeah. mechanics they wanted. But yeah, it is. There is some irony to that now that that's kind of um, <laughs> mostly forgotten and. Um, we went chasing after the wrong thing you know it's too true too you know like we had very different orientation even back then I wanted to make a game that the fans wanted and their orientation which was typical of publishers is we can't just cater to the fans we need to make a game that really appeals to all the new people that don't know the property and that's something you know you here over and over again for understandable reasons from publishers. And that's not what I'm doing now. Um, now, I, now I have the freedom to say, uh, <laughs> I don't care about the new people. i not <laughs> what this game is for. Play it or don't play it. This is for the ToeJam and Earl fans uh, straight up. So that, that frees me up a lot in my design decisions. I don't have to try to go after two targets at once.
2: Uh, Greg, uh, you mentioned that uh, Microsoft invested uh, advertising money for... Well, for the exclusive uh, rights, I guess, for mm-hmm. the Xbox. Um, yeah. Did they have any say on what you d- could do in the game? Because they gave up money, or what? Was it was that all, like all up to Sega?
1: Um, no, they didn't. It was that was um, that was up to Sega. It was still uh, they. I don't remember them being involved at all at that level. But that said, you know, Sega still. Um, knew that we were heading for that hardcore Microsoft, I mean, Xbox audience. And so they um, they made what you might call strong suggestions that we ramp up the edginess of it. they were they were concerned that we were too uh, soft and too sweet and uh, brightly colored and you know, not sexy enough and not actiony enough. And they went so, you know, they, we, they kept suggesting that we dial it up a little more.
2: I, re- I remember looking at magazine ads and I remember, uh, Toe Jam and they had like magazine ads and then they had like, um, I don't know. I remember what the character was called. The, the female character. Oh, the she, yeah, there you go. Um, uh, yeah. like they were like very, inf- like saying that she was sexy basically. I forgot what the ad was. I think it was like, he's Toe Jam, she's Earl. And then, or she's no, Earl. he's Toe Jam, she, uh, I forgot what it was, and then like the point, like they kind of like emphasized that she had like big breasts, I think, in the ad.
1: you right, like, kind yeah. of the whole
2: thing with adding a female?
1: Oh, um well, no, that's not why she was in there at all. In fact, uh, she was in there because I wanted her in there because um I wanted to have a female player character um to so that female players had a character they could be but then once she was in there um Sega uh wanted her to be more sexy and um I can't you know they weren't like obnoxious about it or anything they would they would come down our producer at the time and would just sort of make a suggestion of like hey could you do this and that's the relationship you have as a developer you always want to please and you always want to say yes when you can and so we'd say okay, okay we'll we'll try to make that happen, and then, um, and Iwe, our artist at the time, he was really opposed to that, and I was, and feel bad, I was like, well, Eway, could we make him a little bigger, <laughs> you know, would that be okay, and, and, um, you know, you try to find that middle ground so that everybody's happy, and, um, uh, and there was also, uh, the reason I think they pointed that out in the ads was just because part of the character development that happened in game three was um this relationship triangle between toe jim earl and Letitia. and you know toe had the hots for Letitia, and she wasn't having any of it and she kind of liked big earl sort of as a big brother she really looked up to him and and so was would talk to him and ignore toe jim who would try even harder to you know, be this little, like showboat and show off for her and stuff. And I thought that was a lot of fun character-wise. It allowed me to do a lot more character development because Big Earl is quiet. He doesn't say very much. So when it's just Toe Jam and Earl, Toe Jam does all the talking, and Earl just says like one or two words. And this um, having her in the mix allowed for that. But then that turned into a little bit more like innuendo, you know, um, because of our uh, shooting for that sort of m- male, teen, um, and young 20s audience. And um, I don't know, maybe that turned some people off. I'm not I'm not really sure. I think there's a lot of purists out there, too, that just didn't like the idea of having um, another character in there. You know, they just wanted it to be Toe Jim and Earl and nobody else. But, you know, our audience, I think mostly those were guys who didn't really... Feel the need for having a female player character too. Yeah.
2: I it was a pre- I think it was a pretty good idea. I think now especially in this kind of uh, time period where people want more uh, female characters in their games. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it's I thought it was a pretty good decision. I thought marketing was a little strange, but you know Sega marketing.
1: <laughs> mhm. Yeah. Right. I was gonna
2: say um, it seems that retro I mean retro games have been making a comeback, especially like roguelike games um did that influence you on bringing back toe jam and
1: earl oh um yeah, it probably had a little something to do with it i i i don't think um not in a big way more it had more to do with just what it would be like pulling some ideas from those um roguelike games but um i i can't say i really thought that toe jam and earl would be more popular because of that or, or anything it's it's, Do you play um, any of the Rolex
2: games, the indie ones they've been releasing lately?
1: Oh, um, not so much. I've been, I mean, a little bit, and I've looked at them. I've started a bunch of them, um, just to, uh, just to kind of see what some of the mechanics are. Um, and I talk about them with my friends, like, but some of like Binding of Isaac, for example, I got a ways into that, and I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> it was just so uh, graphic. Yeah, and dark and twisted. I was like, that's not my thing. But they had, this, but it's a really clever, clever game in terms of its um, mechanics. So I ended up just going to a friend of mine, Brad, and just saying, okay, explain to me <laughs> all the stuff they're doing here, because I can't, I can't play it anymore. And uh, it's been. Um, Yeah, uh, what, Spelunky, there's a few games, other games out there, you know, that I, um, played a bit, but, um, uh, you can get the mechanics from them pretty quickly, and I, I, um, I, I just don't, I actually don't have time to play that much, um, oddly enough, I, um.
2: Just thought I'd ask, because, uh, I do know that, uh, Binding of Isaac, when I played it, I was just like, this is a very uh, weird, like, roguelike game. Like, you never really see these type of games released anymore. And it was it was crazy. Like, everybody was talking about it o- online and playing. Yeah, it.
1: that's true. That's true. Oh, Don't Starve is another one that yeah. I was looking at. And I, I really liked that. That, in fact, influenced the art style of this new game. I remember um, sharing that with our team and saying, ooh, I like what they're doing there. It's both in terms of the sort of sketchy, hand-drawn look and the sort of, sort of 2d 3d um mix and yeah except their uh, their flat world's flat and i didn't want to have a flat world which makes it much harder to make your 3d not feel like 3d when your world's not flat
2: yeah and i saw that you guys already changed it too you guys uh took a uh, uh, backer feedback and uh put cell shaded
1: yeah, right. Well, that's, that's just concept art, you know, we wanted to get something out there quick to show people that we are listening and that we're going to experiment with it. And the, it's, a, it's, that's a two-edged, uh, is that a two-edged sword? Is that right metaphor? Yeah. <laughs> a double-edged sword, uh, you know, of getting, showing an early prototype because that's all that was something we put together very quickly just to kind of get the idea across. And we have all along planned to be, um, you know, developing and tweaking the, the look and, uh, but, you know, people see what they see and, um, and immediately go, ah, that's, we, it should be this. It should be that. So we kind of wanted to communicate that. Yes, we hear you. And yes, we are, um, trying to experiment with new, um, new visuals. That has kind of has been our plan all along. Um, and, and, um, But those, like I said, that's just concept art. So we still have our due diligence to do to try to figure out what we can achieve technically. You know, we've done a little bit of that so far just to make sure that we weren't going to kind of promise uh, or even suggest something that we can't deliver at all. But I'm not sure how much of that we'll be able to really i mean you know changing the palette and bumping up the saturation and changing textures on things that's easy the out the it's the the black outlines around all of that randomly generated terrain and whether or not we could put outlines over the hills to make them look like they're flat or not is those things we don't really know yet
2: oh, okay um actually this is a different question uh back in the uh, 2010, you yeah. uh, Sega had a poll, I don't even remember this, asking for uh, users to vote what Genesis game they wanted re-released on Xbox Live Arcade.
1: I remember that, yeah. yeah and uh,
2: apparently uh, ToeJam & Earl won, but uh, Sega didn't really own the rights to it, and I guess none of them knew. <laughs> can you give me on details ab- uh, about this, and uh, and did you and Sega, you guys didn't reach an agreement. Do you, Can you talk about why you guys didn't reach an agreement?
1: Oh, um. I don't even remember us um having any specific conversations as a result of that. It's not it's not like that's uh sentences. So they never
2: contacted you after the, the, the fans I guess asked for the no. game. No. That's really uh, sh- that's I don't sh-
1: even remember how I heard about that, but I did hear about it and um and and you know, um we've had a good relationship with Sega over the years and they're, um, you know, but they're busy doing their other things that are generating money. This is an old property and they're, they're never really sure whether it was worth putting more energy into it. And, and they, they fund focus on properties that they own mostly. I think that's been a little bit of a barrier that they have to get our approval and all that. They, it's just, gets a little more complicated. Um so you know there's a whole bunch of factors that's, um but it's not for lack of interest I think that did have an effect on me I certainly and it made me feel like okay one of these mm. <laughs> one of these months or years as soon as I can I really want I maybe there are enough people out there that it's worth it to me to try to make this happen mm. and I've tried you know periodically too I've gone shopping to um and to Sega and to other publishers uh trying to get a new a new and Earl game uh funded and off the ground uh just haven't had much luck um people just weren't sure there was enough of a demand mm-hmm. so and I kept trying to say yes there is <laughs> <laughs> yes there is but they're like yeah yeah right you're a little biased why why should we listen to you of course you think there is so right yeah, that uh, we'll see now. If if we get over the line with Kickstarter, then uh, we'll know that there is. Yeah. And if we if we don't, then well, okay, maybe those publishers were right, and there aren't enough people out there. So we'll we'll find out soon.
0: Yeah, um, another thing that happened in 2010, I just wanted to bring up was Sumo Digital, who was making Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing. Uh, they wanted to yeah. add ToeJam and Earl. Now I know. Uh, I believe you've spoken about it in the past, and it, it was basically an issue of by the time things were kind of sorted out, it was too late. Um, yeah. Did you see any early prototypes or drawings or no. footage? No.
1: Okay. No, nothing. Yeah, I, I found out about it pretty late, actually. They were already very far down the road, and I'm sure they were busy with a lot of things, and we were just one of the things on their list. and And then – Again, you know, it just gets complicated because then there's um, us trying to figure out where the rights stand with Sega, and then we have to talk to their lawyer, has to talk to our lawyer, and then has to talk to Sumo and everybody. Then there's a week or two between the times that people are getting back to each other. And then by the time we kind of had an understanding, it was too late. Mm-hmm. And that's the <laughs> that's sort of the basically what happened. A lot of people are like, at the time we're like up in arms like why didn't you let this happen you know and figured there must be some terrible greedy reason <laughs> right. of you know and it just wasn't like that it was just more just the practicality of uh getting it all sorted out and the timing and everything yeah i, I was disappointed i would have liked to have seen that happen i know mark was would have liked it too it's like any any way to get our characters out there oh, yeah. is is a good thing you know why wouldn't we want that and so
0: for sure um, I'm wondering. So, do you consider Back in the Groove to be ToeJam and Earl 4, or do you see it more as a reimagining of the concepts of the first game, sort of a maybe like a reboot?
1: Um, well, I'm not even sure what the difference is. You know, that the 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 in a normal sequence of um, titles and sequels that one, two, three, four would be very meaningful because they're usually a very direct evolution of um, one after the other. You know, they just build on the same engine. Because we've sort of changed course so dramatically, um, there's really no way you can c- consider this a Roll 4 in that sense. Mm-hmm. It's It really is more of a reboot, I think, of game one. You know, I had to kind of choose. Was mm-hmm. it going to be game one escrow more like game two and um i i and i didn't really consider game three because that is game that's sort of like a warped game one, you know (laughs) a donkey kongified game one so um so yeah anyway i'd say more of a reboot i guess okay cool uh george you
0: had a question about co-op
2: oh yes um in your Kickstarter page, you guys mentioned you guys have four-player co-op. Does that mean that uh, does that mean characters like Pi- Piabu and uh, Luanda might be playable in the full game?
1: Yeah, that's the idea. Uh-huh. In fact, um, that was one of the things I sort of pulled people on on the Facebook page and said, "Hey, if we had added two other characters, who would you want to see?" And uh, those were the two that came up to the top. There's a lot of different ideas, you know, and people. Threw out a lot of fun ideas. Even some people were saying, "Oh, you should be Earthlings, like the the wise man or the Viking lady, you know, or Toe Jam <laughs> and Earl's relatives, you know, from the end of the game when you see To Jam's little twin sisters, or Earl's got like a little brother and sister, um, or maybe Earl's mom <laughs> or something." So, um, but yeah. I, uh, anyway, I think uh, Pibo and Lawanda were the two. Um, that, uh, seem most popular. And then, um, we'll probably, um, you know, we're probably going to be introducing some stretch goals, uh, soon. We're trying to figure out what those might be. I, I, we, we really didn't want to introduce them until we, um, uh, got very close to, you know, meeting our goal. Cause it almost to us sort of felt a little presumptuous. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we don't even know if people want to get us to that bar. Why would we be saying, uh, oh, and we want, you know, and here's here's an incentive for even more. But um, people have been asking, and uh, a lot of our fans who have already backed us, who are, have been giving us lots of advice, uh, really great, wonderfully <laughs> enthusiastic advice have said, hey, you guys, you guys should really be doing that. So we're going to we're going to do that. And pr- that'll probably be one of those stretch goals. It's like additional characters. Cause every character you add, is just a whole bunch of more assets, especially in a game like toe jam and roll where the things that a character can do are so diverse because of all the presents you can open. Yeah. Um, then we need animations for all that stuff. And, uh, it's just, you know, you don't want to, there's so much we want to do. We can't promise everything, uh, that's, that's, yeah. You don't want to do that and then not deliver. That's the worst, so. Uh,
2: right now, the game is going to be on PC. Uh, what consoles are you thinking of bringing it in the future after the PC release is uh, all said and done?
1: Yeah, well, it'll be right now on the PC, the Mac, and uh, Linux. So, our initial release will be uh, on those three, uh, I guess you could call them three platforms or three related platforms. And then um, after that, we are planning and hoping to put it on um, all platforms, which is to say, you know, PlayStation 4, the Vita, the Xbox, um, Xbox One, and um, uh, of course the Wii Wii U and um, maybe iOS, Mm -hmm. maybe even even put it on carts if we can manage Mm -hmm. to make that work. You know, for you know, for the <laughs> you, uh, yeah, uh, there's part. still
2: a uh, I don't know if you know this, but there's uh, still some uh, like more indie publishers, but they're still making Sega Genesis games. Like
1: yeah, I have been hearing that more and more uh, recently, and I've been contacted by uh, one or two cart uh, manufacturers and distributors. I I we haven't done any um technical investigation into you know, what the memory limitations are these days for those carts and uh, how feasible that really is going to be for what we're doing. But it's on the list, you know, and I that's one of the nice things about um, being independent like this. Uh, Like the last game I did was for Sony as a first-party title, which has its benefits too, of course. You know, being first-party can be great, but one of the downsides is you you're all Sony or you're all whatever your first party relationship is. And now as an independent. We can, we can go to everything. It's just a matter of, um, getting enough funding to do it. Mm -hmm. Um, it's kind of why, you know, but I also, a lot of people are asking, Hey, well, why aren't you making, um, stretch goals for, uh, for all those other platforms and, um, we, we've been thinking a lot about it and talking a lot about it and, and um the jury is still out but i I just am so hesitant to make promises that I don't absolutely know we can keep yeah. that's the that's the really my guiding principle and it's the catch twenty two of Kickstarter because everybody wants promises yeah <laughs> you know it's like everybody wants something different they want it as fast as they can get it and um you know, and no fault of theirs. These people don't really know what it takes to develop a game, what the co- where the costs go, and why does it take so long, and why is it so expensive? And uh, and I, I, it's tempting just to say yes to everything because I hate to I hate to say no, and I hate to say I don't know to people, or I don't know yet. But um, it's even worse to just say yes and make all these promises and then not deliver. Mm. So I just I that's the that's the issue really is that it's um it's complicated even with a even with a great platform like Unity you, you don't just press a button and now here it is on all these other platforms it's a lot of work and and we're doing a game that has an online component to it and that makes it um much more complicated too to make sure it's that's working across platform, all these platforms, and um, I don't mean across platforms, but I mean, you know, on all the different platforms, and uh, and then every uh, platform vendor has their own set of what's called TDRs of requirements, technical requirements that you have to meet for how you're using their memory and how your, um, you know, what your UI how it works and, uh, all, all, all this long list of things that you have to do to meet their compliances. And then all this testing you, you have to do. And, um, and you have to go through lot check, which means you have to submit every build to them and it has to meet approval. And then if you don't meet the approval, it takes a lot of time and you have to pay for it each time you do that. And it's thousands of dollars. And so it's sort of like, until you, you just don't want to, you don't want to Make a light promise. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny too. You know, the people that have never done this before, the people on indie, you know, indie developers on Kickstarter mm-hmm. who are new, don't know all of that, and so they're the ones who are likely to just say yes, <laughs> and they put like put it up there as a stretch goal for like even very little amounts of money, and you're like, ooh, yeah. good luck with that.
0: Yeah. George and I have talked to a lot of different um Kickstarter projects, and you know, we see a lot of different types. There. Like you've said, there are the types who are eager to, eager to please. Um, there are also the mm-hmm. types who they they kind of went in with their idea. They're sticking, staying the course. And as such, when people bring up such things as you mentioned, the graphics, they would never respond to it. They'd say, "Well, the graphics are what you get." So it's uh, oh, it's yeah. it's a very tricky platform. I like and I think too. a lot of people who might it is. not be used to that that sort of idea of how how it works. It's it's a new thing. Even though Kickstarter's been around for a while i'm I'm impressed though you guys have raised uh two hundred and seventeen thousand oh, up two hundred and seventeen twenty eight it just went up to forty two hundred uh so um yeah but with twenty one days to go and plus there's a there's always a big surge at the end of these um that uh yeah
1: it's looking good it's it's hopeful that certainly it's um it's slowed down a fair bit over the last few days and um, that's um, I keep being told that's typical, you know this is the first Kickstarter we've done, and lots of learning don't quite know what to expect um I even met with somebody from Kickstarter yesterday at g d c and which was great, and I got more of an education and he said yeah you're doing you're doing good uh you know that the that and I just said, I keep feeling like we must be making some big mistake mm-hmm. and. And he said, "Nope. From what I can see, you know, there's, you're you're on the path. It's fine. I'll let you know if I see any glaring errors or anything. But, you know, there's a lot of. We're going to put out some, um, you know, updates. We're we one of the things we're getting a lot of requests for that we might. We're trying to figure out if we can do is um, what's called add-ons. You know, where people want a lot of the merchandise outside of the." just to be able to get it in addition to the tiers that they're Ah. signing up for.
0: Yeah. You have some pretty impressive uh, rewards for backers, including uh, you have t-shirts, you have sweatshirts, and you also have these vinyl figures. And I was wondering what the process was in producing these, and also if you have any plans outside of the um, rewards to actually merchandise uh, ToeJam & Earl, not just what you have shown here, but maybe any other things.
1: Oh yeah, um, you know, oddly enough, that's not a question I I, have, I don't think I've been asked that at all um, yet. Uh, but it's it's uh, been a really interesting um, area of what we've been doing, and uh, all be interesting because it's all brand new. You know, I suppose some people are, publishers deal with merchandise, but I never have as a game developer. So I've had to like. Just get on the Internet and start Googling for uh, toy manufacturers in China and then finding out from them how things are made and um, what they need and how long it takes and, like, you know, the minimum. They won't talk to you unless you're ordering thousands of units. And um, and then how I get them shipped to the U.S. and where they get shipped to a fulfillment center and all that. It's, it's a lot of... Um, A lot of back and forth and uh, just kind of figuring stuff out as you go. But it's been Hmm. a lot of fun. It's been really interesting. And I discovered um, this great, great company in China in uh, Shenzhen. They're called uh, SRX Shenzhen. And they they did those vinyl toys. Aren't those awesome? They're (laughs) really great looking. Yeah, they did those just from looking at some 2D drawings that I sent them of the characters. And they sent me back the sculpts of them in clay. And I was like, oh my gosh, you have some very talented artists there. And they (laughs) did it like in a day and a half. I was like, wow. Um, And they're like half the price of most of the places I found. Um, Definitely way cheaper than uh, places in US or Canada that I had looked at. So I was really excited about that. 'Cause I kinda want those figures myself. And <laughs> people have been asking for them for years. And um so uh so yeah, I got so excited by them, then I said, Okay, we're making the ship and we're making keychains too, because originally it was just gonna be the two characters. But right. I I got so thrilled by what they did. We um we added those on. And then um I just happened across this company in Austin, Texas called Amplifier that does, um, they make t-shirts and hoodies and posters and mugs and stuff like that. And they also do fulfillment so I can have all of my goods shipped directly to them. And then they do all the packaging and ship it all out and they do the customer service. And then there's another company that I found, um, called Backerkit and they, collect all the data from Kickstarter and correlate it and do all the surveys to find out what sizes you want and what add-ons you want and what, you know, address, if you've changed your address or anything like that. And then they give all that data, feed it to the fulfillment company. So there's this whole, like, infrastructure that has grown up to support Kickstarters and... um, if you, you know, of course it's not free, <laughs> so right. you have to be of a kind of a certain size to be able to use that stuff at all for it to be cost effective. But at, at a certain size, the opposite's also true that if you try to do that yourself, you just get buried. I, I can't, there's no way a couple of us here in the office could handle all of that um, packaging and shipping uh, ourselves or we'd... We'd never make a game, you know. Right. And so, yeah, so it's, it's. I'm I'm excited about it. You know, I've it's been a great learning opportunity for me.
2: Um,
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, oh, and was... you asked me about. Oh, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, no,
0: go on uh, about um, potentially marketing outside of the Kickstarter for.
1: Right. That's what I was gonna. Yeah. Go to sure. Um. Yes. Yeah, so, that is tricky because we certainly can and in fact would like to of course why wouldn't we want to sell that stuff right and uh and even at a practical level i have to make a big order and um i've invested my own money to do this so that i could do it early so that i could have i wanted to have them made so that we could show them on the kickstarter page because i wanted people to be able to see what they were buying And I also don't want people to have to wait too long. And there's really long lead times uh, for these toys and stuff. So, um, you know, I went ahead and started the order and I've ordered a few thousand uh, units of each of these things. And um, we may not get that many um, people, you know, paying for it as backers. So I might have a bunch of stuff sitting (laughs) in a warehouse. Um, So, you know, but the flip side of that is, um, we have to be fair to the people that have, um, like, dished out money to uh, for the tiers. And we don't want to turn around right after Kickstarter and then sell the same stuff for cheap. <laughs> that, that would be awful, and people would get really um, rightfully pissed at us. So we kind of have to figure out, at, at the very least, I think... You know, we'll we'll wait for quite a while. I don't know what that is, but maybe it's like a year or something. And maybe we'll put it. We'll, we won't have that packaging anymore. Um, yeah. That they have, that so we can. We want to try to make that exclusive, so that the Kickstarter people have something that's feels more like a collector's thing and is special. Right. Yeah, I found um, in the world of toys, a package does a lot. <laughs>
0: You you get something in a baggie and it's just it's not it's not as special as the one that was in the box.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. And the box art's really, really cool. Nathan, our artist here, he he did that. And I was really thrilled with it. It's uh, it's it's going to put people in a lot of. A lot of people in a big dilemma though because they're going to be very torn they're going to want to get their hands on the toys but they're not going to want to take it out of the box yeah you know? like, and then they're going to be like don't touch that box no right of course it.
0: if you want to be really if you want to be really crafty you put a, a special like uh, branded piece of tape across the top so they can't break it they won't ah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. There you go.
0: <laughs> yeah, I've dealt with that before. I'm like, oh, I can open it. Oh, they put a special piece of tape on it.
1: Can't yeah, break the seal. Yeah. Well, no,
0: yeah.
1: worth more that way, right? Eventually. If oh, that for sure. Broken. Yeah. So maybe people like having that tape on there because it proves that it has never been opened. Yeah. But, uh,. Yeah, I know. That's the, I, I know a lot of people are going to want to take them out and put them on their desk or display them on their shelves, and they'll be torn as to whether or not they should open it or not. But I guess that's a good kind of problem to have.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's really cool to see, um, I guess, merchandise like this. I, you look at them and they look like something you would have gotten in the 90s, and I mean that in a positive sense. You know, like. Uh,
1: yeah, that's what I thought too, uh, and that is kind of the vibe of this whole game, the, down to the music and the art style of. New characters and the toys and everything, you know, it's all I want it all to feel nostalgic and retroy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I wasn't I wasn't even sure initially whether or not those toys would be based on the new character designs or um, some stylized sort of m- more simplified versions of the characters that you often see in vinyl toys or just straight up old the old character designs from game 1 and I um decided eventually to do the latter, you know, to just go with the real old school. And then on the hoodie we put the newer characters, you know, that are hopefully kind of a little cooler in the sense of more a little more teenagery, the yeah. less kind of bright colors and stuff like that, but then the t-shirt we went kind of old school. Right. Oh, very cool. Giving people a mix of stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so, uh, Jordan, uh, I had
2: one last question. Yeah, go for one it. One last question before uh, we, I guess, wrap yeah. it up. Um, wh- okay, the old games, uh, if you wanted to, I guess, re-release them, you would have to go through Sega, right? You guys have, like, a co-contract kind of thing.
1: Oh, yes. Um, it's um, The way that works specifically is uh, Sega owns the assets. Owns the games, and I hope it's okay for me to even. I think it's okay for me to talk about this. I but but um basically we own the intellectual property, Mark Borsanger and I, and um, Sega owns the actual like bits and bytes, the assets of those games. So that makes sense. But that, yeah, what that means is that um, if those old games get re-released, we have to both uh, agree. You know, we we both have veto power, and um, and it also means, for example, I can't use any of those old assets uh, exactly as they were uh, without Sega's approval. Mm-hmm. But I own the intellectual property, so I could re uh, I could redo it if I wanted to, re- like redo the art or redo the music. Um, so that's kind of where the line is.
0: Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Castle of through. Illusion. Mickey Mouse and the Castle of Illusion has a very similar deal. Then, um, ah. obviously, Sega doesn't own Mickey, but uh, when they made a recent uh, game, they they put a lot of elements from Castle of Illusion in it, but they remade them. So yeah, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Hmm. So um, yeah, I guess th- that wraps up all our questions. I want to thank you so much. Well, first off, as a fan, I want to thank you for uh, helping. Bring ToeJam and Earl to life, and for the the great games from the 90s, the Xbox game as well. Um, so just as a fan, from I think both George and myself, thank you so much for um, what you did and what oh. you're doing.
1: Yeah, so, well, sure. I feels sp- <laughs> funny to be thank because it's I, you know it's kind of my business and I do it because I love it. But but great, you're welcome. Yeah. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for playing it and liking it. I'm. You know, if you, whenever you create stuff, you're just you're just so happy and like thrilled and grateful if anybody out there uh, likes it and enjoys it. Otherwise, why are you doing it? You know. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, yeah, you know, Same I had gotcha. the
0: I had the poster in my room, so it, I never thought I'd actually be talking to the guy who created the characters. So it's a little surreal. But, <laughs> That's um, funny. Yeah. <laughs> but um, hey, yeah. the. The project is Toe Jam and Earl back in the groove. It's Greg Johnson. He wants to bring them back into the groove. Uh, so you can find that, search it on Kickstarter. We're going to be sharing it on the social networks, making sure you get more backers.
2: And um, all right, thanks. George, is there anything you wanted to add? just saying thank you for uh, being on the show even though we had a rough start it's,
1: it's a good podcast thank absolutely. you absolutely thank you so much oh yeah yeah thanks guys
0: SegaBits is a fan site that is not in any way officially affiliated with Sega. Sonic the Hedgehog and all Sega related trademarks are copyright Sega. All other featured trademarks are the property of their respective owners. Don't forget to check out SegaBits.com
2: and you can find us on all major social networks. Just search SegaBits.